Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Hello and welcome back. Day six of creation. Now, there is tons to discuss. If you're familiar with the creation narrative in Genesis 1, you know that day six, there's a lot going on. So we will be here a while. Now, if you have questions for me, you can always email me, bearchristianity at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at the Real Bear Martin or on Twitter at Bear for Christos. And now for a bear in the woods here, this is now we're in December. This here's a little Christmas special, Bear in the Woods. Now, th- this is this has always uh, bothered me, and then I learned something, and it, it kind of changed the way I look at things, but not all the way. And I'll explain what I'm talking about. You know, around Christmas time, you will see Christmas abbreviated. Xmas a lot. And growing up in a Christian family, church, Christian school, you always heard this phrase, keep Christ in Christmas. Okay. He's the reason for the season. Keep Christ in Christmas. And so we never, ever, ever under any circumstances used Xmas to, to, uh, as a, as a way to write Christmas. We always wrote it all the way out every time. Well, it turns out, and, and I just came across this probably about six months ago, I saw a, a, a who I know is like a legitimate Christian believer um, writing something about Christmas and using Xmas, and I'm like, what in the world is this guy doing? Does, I mean, does he not understand what that means? And it turns out I didn't understand the, the real story behind it. Now, so so Xmas, the abbreviation is not actually or or originally was not actually a bad thing. In Greek, the 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 way Christ, uh, Christ is spelled Christos and the CH sound in Christos, if we were to to write that out like like Christ, that CH sound is from the Greek letter key. And so it, it's it's an X it is the way you write it. And it's sort of like a K and an H like blended together. It's sort of a, a hard uh, sound in your in your mouth. Key. I don't know if that's coming across on the um, on the microphone too well. But anyway, and so it's written X. And so so Christos in Greek, it starts with an X. And so Xmas, it was just a way for people to save space when writing Christmas. Uh, I mean, this is a lot more rare, but uh, some people will will put like a big X and then I-A-N at the end for Christian. So as once I realized this, I started seeing it in other places. So anyway, just to just to let you know. Now, that being said, a lot of people today are using Xmas because they do not want to, you know, Christmas to have any sort of religious meaning. And so they are using Xmas in a way that they're trying to reject Christ. And so that's why I still don't use it, um, you know, publicly or whatever. But if you see a Christian using it, then th- that that will make a little more sense. You're, you don't have to be like, what are you doing? Keep Christ in Christmas. Well, it turns out they may be, they, but, uh, but what they're using is just kind of misunderstood. Anyway, Hopefully that's interesting to you. It was interesting to me.
Day six of creation is found in Genesis 1, verses 24 through 31. So let me read those for us here. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good." And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Okay, so I'm going to talk just briefly about the creation of the land animals. There's three categories. There's the livestock, which is going to be more your domesticated animals. There's creeping things, which is a broad category. Uh, Things like reptiles would be in this category. And then there's the beasts of the field, and these would be your wild animals. Now, they're all made according to their kinds. We've seen this language a lot so far, talking about creation. And again, I think that this is antagonistic to any theory of evolution. Um, Also, God saw that his creation of the land animals was good, but imagine reading this for the first time and after, you know, and God saw that it was good. And then in in your mind, what are you expecting? And there was evening and there was morning and then the next day. But instead, but wait, there's more. Um, instead, it keeps on going. And so this is what we'll talk about today. This, this first phrase here in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we'll talk about those plural pronouns there. Let us make man in our image. Why do we have the those plural words there um, when, when we know that there's only one true God? And so, as always, I hope this will be helpful for you as you study your Bible. Now, First, as as Christians, especially if you grew up in Christian culture and you speak Christianese, um, you you need to realize that a lot of times we will mix in, we mix up different words. Uh, like we can say God and be meaning lots of different things. Uh, we can say Lord and we may be referring to. Uh, a certain person of the Trinity, or you know, so Lord can be a, a a very vague term. So let's talk about a few of those. In the Old Testament, we have some different words that that are referring to the God of the Bible. And so, first, God is the Hebrew word Elohim, 
and we'll talk more about that in just a second. LORD in all caps or small caps. Small caps would be that the O-R-D are a little bit smaller than the L, but they're still capital letters. That that word, LORD, is for the Hebrew word Yahweh. A lot of times it's called the Tetragrammaton because it's abbreviated Y-H-W-H, um, but, but people pronounce it Yahweh, some people pronounce it Yahweh, Jehovah, Yehovah. There's lots of different theories on how it should be pronounced, but just understand that that is talking about the exact same word. Uh, so Jehovah and Yahweh are probably the, the two most common, and so that just you got to understand that when you see Lord in all caps, that's the Hebrew word that it's referring to. Now, Lord with lower uh, with a capital L, but lowercase O-R-D, is from the Hebrew root of Adon. And so this is where we get Adonai, Adonai, diff- different forms of that, but it's Adon. Now, if, if the L is capitalized, that's just what some English translators have done to help us know that that word is specifically referring to the God of the Bible. Now, if that same—it could be the exact same Hebrew word, but if it's referring to a man who is simply a master over servants, that sort of thing, then it will not be capitalized. It'll just be lowercase l-o-r-d. But it's the same—a lot of times it's the same Hebrew word. So that's just some of the basics. Now, back to Elohim. Uh, El is a general term for deity that's used in a lot of ancient cultures. And so just that's just the general word for God or deity. Now, in the Bible, it can be combined with other words to describe a characteristic of God. So there's lots of these in, in the Old Testament. El Shaddai is one that you may have heard of, and that's typically translated God Almighty, even though people you know, there's t- some discrepancies about what Shaddai actually means. But Anyway, El Shaddai would be, you know, God Almighty. So that's that's one of the ways that this L is used to um to to tack onto other words. Now, similar to L is the Hebrew word Eloah. Eloah, and that is the singular form. The plural form of Eloah is Elohim. And and so occasionally in the Old Testament the word Eloah, the singular form, is used to describe the God of the Bible. But the overwhelming majority of the time, it's actually the plural form of the word, Elo, and it's Elohim. That's what's used to describe the God of the Bible, the, the Lord, the, the one true God. It's the, the word Elohim. So we see this right from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God, the word used there is Elohim. And again, that's plural. Now, the same word is also used to describe gods, little g-o-d-s. So like false gods, plural, the same exact Hebrew word, Elohim, is used. So let me give you an example. Psalm 82, verses 1 and 2, it says this, God, that's capital G, God, has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods, and that's little g and it's plural. Now, if you look at singular capital G God and lowercase g gods, it is the exact same Hebrew word Elohim. There's no difference. And so why in the same verse do we translate one of them as a singular God 
and the other one as plural gods. Why do we do that? Well, you have to look at the verb that's describing the noun. So when it says God has taken his place in the divine council, the verb there has taken is singular. So even though God, Elohim, is plural, the verb using the verb being used to describe Elohim is a singular verb. And so that's why it's translated as just God and not God's plural. Um, in the other instance, it's talking about plural gods with a with a little g. And so again, in in Genesis one one, we see this in the beginning. God, the plural ver, uh, word there is Elohim, but the verb right after that, God created, created is singular. And so that's why it's translated into English as a singular God. Now, when we talk about this this verse here, Genesis one twenty six, let when when God says, "Let us make man in our image and after our likeness." Why is the why are the plural pronouns used there? Now, there's lots of different theories on this. A a commentary that I've used a lot in researching Genesis and studying these passages is the New International Commentary, and so it lists out these six theories. And so let me just kind of walk through those, and then we'll we'll talk about them. But the first one is the the theory that Genesis is just mythological anyway. Um, the the Hebrew Israelite culture is simply stealing from other pagan um, myth tales about the origin of the universe, and this is just a remnant of some of those stories that they tried to incorporate into their into Genesis. Uh, another theory is that God is speaking to angels or a divine council of lesser gods. And so that for, for more information on the divine council concept, you can read a book called Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. Um, Dr. Heiser is a Christian and well-respected Hebrew scholar, and so he talks about some of these passages where um, th- there seems to be this, this divine council. I already mentioned that in Psalm 82, and there's lots of different theories about how to properly translate Psalm 82 as well. But uh, anyway, so that's, that's where you can look for if, if you want more information on the divine council stuff. Uh, another theory is that God is speaking to the earth when he says, let us make man in our image. So if you think about man being made, he's made in the image of God, but in Genesis 2, we're going to find out that man is also formed from the dust of the earth. And so that's that's where people get this theory is that God is talking to the earth, and that's because that's the two basic things that man is, is made from um, or in the image of. Now, another theory is that God is simply speaking to his, himself, just like sometimes we talk to ourselves and we, we may use a plural pronoun. God is just, is, it, there's nothing more to it. God is just talking to himself. Another theory is that this is the plural of majesty. And, and some of these arguments are used with Elohim as well. Elohim is a plural word, but is translated God, singular. And I've, I've, I've told you why, because we look at the verb. But the reason that it's plural is that this is making an emphasis. This is sometimes called the royal we, um, and this is popular in uh, like Great Britain. Edward Seventh. he was asked to make a ruling, and in his official judgment, he, he writes, Now we, Edward, by the grace of God, king of the United Kingdom, and then it goes on and on and on. You know how they love their long titles. Um, but he says, Now we, and then it says, 
Edward. So he's just talking about himself, but he uses the pronoun we, and this is the royal we. It's a plural of majesty. Now, sometimes in Hebrew, a plural form is used to emphasize the greatness of that word. And so you can look at Elohim and say, okay, God is referring to himself, or or the word Elohim is used to refer to the one true God of Israel because he is the greatest. He is God of gods, Lord of lords. He is the greatest. And so that's why we use the the plural. That's that's a theory. What's What's interesting, though, about these pronouns in verse uh, Genesis 126, let us make man in our image after our likeness, that part is not typical in Hebrew. So even though a plural word, it, like a, the proper noun or a noun is used, like plural Elohim is used, everything else is typically singular in Hebrew, like the verbs and the pronouns and things like that. So God, more you know, most of the time... God speaking, it says, I, he uses he uses singular pronouns like I um, instead of we or us. And so that that's what's not typical in Hebrew. So that's what makes this passage more interesting. Now, what I believe is the best explanation of this, and and by the way, I admit that this is a difficult passage, and I'm not saying that people who you know, hold some different opinion are not true Christians and all that stuff. Okay, so this is a this is something that is a legitimate uh, disagreement among a lot of Bible believing faithful Christians. But I believe this passage, the best interpretation, is that this is a a plurality within unity. So let me explain that a little more. Anytime I'm trying to find out the to interpret the Bible, to find out what the Bible is trying to teach me, I use the grammatical historical approach. So you have to think, okay, let's think about who's writing. Okay, it's Moses. What is the context that he is writing this? He's writing this after the he has led the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. And so this is when he's writing it. That's the context. What is Moses's background? He grew up in in Egyptian royalty and that culture. And so he knows a lot about their beliefs. So this is all, you have to factor all of this in as Moses is writing. And then you, you're asking the question, what is Moses trying to convey to the initial people hearing this? What is he trying to convey to the Israelites, the very first ones who would be re- either reading or, or hearing this read to them uh, from their leaders? What is Moses trying to teach him? Now, I don't think that we can jump all the way to the Trinity because the Trinity is not revealed for us until the New Testament. So I don't think Moses is trying to teach them about the Trinity, um, and and I don't think Moses was was aware of the concept of the Trinity. However, as readers of the complete Bible, we have the advantage that we can look back and see it but Moses, I don't think, knew about the Trinity. And so the New Testament turns the light on the Old Testament. If you if you just read the Old Testament, it's like walking through a, a room where the lights are off, you, and you can see some, some shapes of different things, um, but the New Testament just cuts the light on, and so then you can see everything a lot more clear. So after we read the New Testament and understand that and look back at the Old 
It's it's revealing things, and we Jesus does this with the the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He walks through the Old Testament, and and shows them the proper interpretation how the Old Testament is pointing to Christ the whole time. So the New Testament turns the light on the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is is hinting at certain concepts that are then explained in the New Testament. Now, just a reminder about the Trinity. The Bible clearly teaches that there is only one God whose name is Yahweh, Jehovah, okay? But God the Father is referred to as Yahweh. Jesus the Son is referred to as Yahweh. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Yahweh. And in some New Testament, so when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, Sometimes in the Old Testament, it'll says it'll, it'll say the Lord says, you know, whatever, okay. But when that same verse is quoted in the New Testament, sometimes it says the Holy Spirit said. So the Holy Spirit is identified in the New Testament as the Lord Yahweh in the Old Testament. So again, we have God the Father being identified as Yahweh, the Son is identified as Yahweh, and the Holy Spirit is Yahweh, but there's only one true God. So how do we put those together? And the orthodox answer for that is that it's the Trinity. There's one being in three persons. So the Bible does not define the Trinity in straightforward terms, and the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but an honest reading of the Bible essentially traps you into believing the Trinity. So for a lot more information on the Trinity, just go to some of my earliest episodes, and I, I cover more details about that. So anyway, back to, to Genesis 1 here. I believe that in, in some way, Moses understood that there was, although there was one true God, there in some way there was a plurality uh, in, in God. And so if we look at Genesis 1, and we think, okay, who is God possibly talking to here? In Genesis 1, we have God creating, and it also says that the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the surface of the deep. Now, the New Testament further explains the Old Testament, as I mentioned earlier. In John 1, verses 1 through 3, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word here is talking about the, the Son, Okay, in the beginning was the Word, the second person of the Trinity, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Moses would not have known this part about, you know, he, Moses couldn't go and read John's gospel, okay? But so Moses would not have known about this part, but what Moses writes in Genesis 1 does not contradict John 1. Now, why do I reject some of the other views that I've mentioned? Well, the first one, the the myth, you know, that it's some remnant from a mythological tale that the Hebrews um, are plagiarizing. They just take that and then make it their own. And the authors just forgot to to take out these plural words. They just it just they missed it in their proofreading. I just think that's a that's a weak argument. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, are arguably the most important books for a Jew. And so I I just find it tough to believe that in the very first chapter of the most important set of books that that they just missed this, that they just missed it, that it was that plural should have never been in there. 
All right. Now, as far as God speaking to the angels or to earth or you know anything like that, angels are not mentioned here. Uh, but like I said, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Now, as far as speaking to the earth uh, about you know God, man is made in the image of God and from the dust of the earth, so maybe God is talking to the earth. It, that just seems strained, and so that that I just don't don't find that convincing because it's it's uh, a bit stretchy for me. Uh, now, also, the reason I believe what I believe is because if you just keep reading right after Genesis one twenty six, where God says, let us make man in our image, the very next verse, we have singular pronouns being used. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he, you know, singular, created him. Male and female, he created them. So we have sing- God is is we're back to using singular pronouns for God and singular verbs. Now, man is singular, but then we have male and female. He created them. So so now we have a plurality. So we have a singular. You know, God created man in His own image, but then we have male and female. He created them. Some some plurality there. Now, I'm not saying that there is a male God and a female God, or or something to that effect. More on this in in later episodes. But there there is something interesting about a unity and plurality, and I think that's all that's trying to be conveyed here in this passage. So we're going to talk a lot more about day six of creation. And next week, I plan to cover man being made in the image of God. And so in Colossians 1, 15 and 16, this is talking about Jesus. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 